right. Well, good morning, Doxa Church. Happy New Year. You guys good? Well, if you're unsure if you're good, let me just remind you, 2020 is over. Praise the Lord. For all everybody online, you can do the praise emoji and it would be good, okay? But guys, it's, it's great to be together. It's, it's great to see everybody today. If you're new um, or visiting, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. It's honestly just an honor to have you part of the, the Doxa family gathering today. And if we haven't met, if you've been coming around here for a couple weeks and we haven't had a chance to, to meet yet, guys, I'd love to get a chance to meet you. So come find me after the service, say hi, introduce yourself, and I would just absolutely love that. So for everybody online watching via the live stream, guys, we, we miss you as always, but guys, one day closer to us being back together in person. But I'm super grateful that we can gather like this this morning. But guys, I, I hope you had a great Christmas. Was it good for you guys? Yeah, eat a lot of food, all that stuff. But it's been my, my hope and prayer uh, th throughout the Advent season leading up to Christmas that amidst all of the, the busyness, the, the chaos, like the extravaganza that can kind of surround Christmas, that you were truly able to like focus in on and celebrate the incarnation of Jesus, which is what Christmas is all about, ultimately what our church is about, and really what life is. Is, is all about. And so for our family, guys, we, we had a great Christmas. My, my family, or my mom, actually came to town. She's still here visiting, but it was, it was restful for us. It was worshipful. And it was just like fun. But along with that, here's one of the main reasons, okay, that, that my Christmas was so good, okay? So many of you guys know that I'm a Cleveland boy, right? I grew up there. One person. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So grew up in Cleveland. Many of my family are still in Cleveland. But guys, here's the thing, okay? Being a Cleveland boy has been really hard for me, especially when it relates to football, okay? So any Browns fans here? Two of you, I'm sorry, Ronnie and Caitlin, that's great. But guys, we have a saying in Cleveland, okay, is that our favorite saying as a Browns fan is next year. Right, is every time we lose, it's like, oh, next year, it's gonna be, it's gonna be great. But, but since moving to Wisconsin a few years ago, like I've, I've drank the Kool-Aid of Wisconsin sports, specifically football, you know, the, the Badgers, the Packers, like I'm all in, all about it, but I really haven't like let that be known to the public yet, okay? So like a lot of my Cleveland friends, my family, they're just gonna disown me or anything like that. But, but guys, that is changing today because I want to show you, okay, let you in on a little bit of my life of like my best Christmas gift this year, okay? Here we go. My first Packers gear. Guys, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Okay. Did someone just throw something at me? Really? Okay. Guys, a limited edition soldier salute Aaron Rodgers jersey, okay? Can I get a go pack go? Praise the Lord. Let's get the band up here and call it a day, okay? But guys, someone that was in my office sitting on my desk after one of the Christmas services, and it, the, the couple that got that for me, you know who you are. I love you. Um, but guys, hopefully it was a great Christmas for you. You know, again, for me, like, super great. Didn't have to put together toys that required, like, an engineering degree and anger management classes afterwards, so that was amazing, right? So here we are moving into a new year. And what we're going to do is, is, guys, go ahead and grab your Bible, all right? Open up to the Gospel of John. I'm really excited about today because at the first Sunday gathering of every new year, we call Vision Sunday. And, and I want to explain what this is all about, okay? Today is about getting us all on the same page as we walk forward together as the Doxa family into a new year, all right? 
And next week, we're, we're going to begin a long study of the book of 1 Corinthians, right? It's going to take us all the way through the summer, and I'm really excited and anticipating God like doing a lot through this study. I'm, I'm excited to see how God's going to meet us and encourage us and shape us into the people that he's created us to be. And so we're going to begin that study in chapter one next week, but my encouragement for you is we want to be a Bible-saturated church, right? And so my encouragement to you is start reading 1 Corinthians. Our time together is going to be so much richer and worshipful if we're in the scriptures together, not just here on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. And so start reading 1 Corinthians. We're going to start studying that next week. But today, Vision Sunday, guys, it's not so much about us rolling out a plan as it is about setting a posture. All right, that as we follow God together, we're going to be doing a lot of different things through this next year. All right, Lord willing, there's going to be a lot of great gospel ministry that's going to happen with the aim of bringing glory to God and good to the people of our city. But guys, as we are going to be doing a lot of things and have a lot of plans, I don't want to talk about that today. What I want to talk about is our posture. Because our posture and how we live our lives and how we live our lives in relation to God is going to greatly impact the direction and the outcome of every single one of our ministry plans, all right? In one of the books that I recently finished uh, that was pretty impactful for me, I read it years ago, but decided to reread it. It's called The Pursuit of God by a man named A.W. Tozer. Has, he's got me really thinking about this over the last couple months, all right? And I just want to read a quick section to you what he says. Here's what Tozer says. Long periods of Bible meditation will purify our gaze and direct it. Church attendance will enlarge in, in our outlook and increase our love for others. Service and work and activity are all good and should be engaged in by every Christian, but at the bottom of all these things, giving meaning to them all, will be the inward habit of beholding God. The inward habit of beholding God. A new set of eyes, so to speak, will develop within us, enabling us to be looking at God while our outward eyes are seeing the scenes of the passing world. All right, Tozer is, is talking about this idea of beholding God. And this is big. I just want you to write that down in your Bible on the top of like the page of John chapter one, okay? So beholding God, to behold just literally means to like stare at, to see, to like gaze at, to grasp, to seek, to understand. And I started thinking about this in terms of my life and in my walk with God. And I asked myself like, do I have like a consistent rhythm of my life of actually beholding God? Like is, is my like life just kind of like circulating around God? Like, do I have this, this rhythm and this posture of just like loving God in every moment of my day? Or do I view God as kind of like passing like a billboard on the belt line, right? That you kind of drive past, you see it, you're like, what's that? And then you're like, oh, well, and you just keep driving, right? That's so many of us as Christians, we, we do that. We come here on Sundays, we pass by the billboard, and we're like, oh, there's God, wait, 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 and then we keep going. Beholding God, this is a big topic. And as we march forward into 2021, this is kind of what we felt like we wanted to, to sit in for a minute. But as we, even as we were going through the Christmas season, we're studying through the historical account of the first Christmas, the birth of Jesus and the gospel of Matthew. Like I began praying that it wouldn't, we wouldn't just like cruise past this. We wouldn't cruise past like the wonderful mystery of Jesus, but we would truly learn to like behold him. Because I just want you to hear this, guys. When we behold the beauty and the glory of God, this, as Tozer states, will change us. Guys, it'll change everything. We'll have new eyes to see him, 
ourselves and the people around us in our city and our love for God and for people will increase, making us more like Jesus, which is really the prime goal of Doxa Church. And this is just a posture that I've been continually asking God to help me with as a man who follows Jesus and to help our church family with as we walk together in the everyday stuff of life here in Madison. Like truly beholding God, not just being people that are committed to going to church, not just being people that are really excited about doing something good in our city, but we would be people that would be marked by loving God. And so that's the question I want you just to think about is like, do I love God? And if the answer is like a quick yes, like maybe you ask the question like, well, what does that look like? How's that going? Because if we're really beholding God, if we're really loving and delighting in him, experiencing his goodness, guys, our hearts and our lives will be conformed to him and our love for him and our love for the people around us in our city that God loves will be increased. I mean, this is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? He says that the love of Christ compelled him to do everything. And so I'm praying that as we open up the Bible today and look at this passage that I've been sitting in this, this morning and throughout the last couple weeks, that it's going to cause us to love God more fully, all right? So I'm just going to read this, and then we're going to jump in and see if there's some things here that's going to help us behold God more. So John chapter 1, verse 14 is where we'll start. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So this is how we're launching into the new year, all right? And here's what I want you to see. John is talking about Jesus. So today is really just a continuation from Christmas, right? That he says the word became flesh, right? In, in the first verse of chapter one, we see in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. This is referencing back to Genesis chapter one, the beginning where God created everything. And John is saying the word became flesh. This is Jesus. Jesus is God. He stands alone, not just a good man, but a, a God man. And he's come to us. And this passage, I I really think there's a temptation for a lot of people, and especially you're more prone to this if you've grown up in the church and you've been in the church for a long time, is that you think of this and you say, the word became flesh. Merry Christmas, right? Jesus came, he was born. But as I've been sitting in this and I've been meditating on this passage, I think that there's so much more that we can learn here to bring about a posture of beholding Jesus, which will just lead to a heightened worship, wonder, awe, and praise. Because as John is introducing Jesus here, he focuses on two things. If you look back, he focuses on Jesus' glory and Jesus' grace. Now, his, his truth is mentioned at the end of verse 14 where he says that Jesus is full of grace and truth, but grace gets the emphasis here. All right, that if you look at verse 16, John says, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So John could have said that we received truth upon truth, but he says grace upon grace. And it's interesting to note, as you read the gospel of John, this is the last time the word grace appears in this gospel. But the word truth or true or truly appears some 55 times throughout the rest of it. So all that to be said, there is no minimizing or diminishing of the importance of truth here. Truth is the way that grace works. And this is why John says in chapter 8, verse 32, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
This is why he says in, in chapter 17, verse 17, that's, he says to sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. But here, I just want you to see this on the outset of John's gospel. His emphasis under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit falls on this issue of grace. And this is just hugely important for us to understand. Because what John is saying is that the way people meet God today, the way that people see God today, the way that people get to know God today, are saved by God today, come to love and behold God today, is by seeing, gazing, and beholding the glory of Jesus, namely at the fullness of his grace. So Doc said, if you really wanna see Jesus's beauty and his glory and his significance in this world and in your life, then we need to make sure we tune our attention and our gaze to his grace. This is what his glory is, is full of. And so we're gonna lean into this little word, grace, because the reality is I think that many Christians, we, we sing this, we sang it in some songs just a few minutes ago, we throw it out in teachings and in prayers, but, but how many times, like, I think from my vantage point is a lot of people have like a really diluted understanding of grace. And when we miss the idea of grace and we misunderstand grace, we really miss out on the heart of the gospel. And when we don't understand the magnitude of the grace of God, where there's no way we're gonna be compelled to behold him, to love him, to stand in awe of him, okay? And, but when you look at the, the overarching story of the Bible, the overarching message is grace through Jesus. I mean, that is what this book is about. This is the overarching message of this book, grace through Jesus. But here's the question, is what, what is grace? Because John says that Jesus, God incarnate, he came to reveal and to give grace. But how would you define that? Like if you were talking to somebody who, who isn't a Christian, doesn't have a church or a biblical background, like how would you explain grace to them? The most significant word, maybe the most significant word in the Bible. What is it? And as you think about that, I, this is not me like kind of doing like a remedial Sunday school class and kind of like trying to insult your intelligence or, you know, your Bible trivia or anything like that. But, but this is just a massive thing for us, all right? Way more substantial than many people realize. And when we understand this rightly, it's going to lead us to truly behold God and see him for as good as he is. So let me just give you a quick definition, guys. You've, you've probably heard this, but grace is just God's unmerited favor towards you. It's his undeserving love. It's his crazy affection for you that God, God's grace is his love in action. That the love that God has for you is not just something that he feels, but it's something that he does. And when he acts on his love, guys, this is called grace. And the word grace is used a ton throughout the Bible, around 600 times if you look at this up. All right, and the grace of God is, is not just to save us, but I want you to hear this. It's to cause us to see him to love him, to delight in him, to be thankful towards him, causing us to behold him and to worship him as we were created to do. But as we talk about grace, here's what you need to know. Grace really just exists in two forms. That God's grace is both common and saving. Okay, and this distinction kind of was, was started and mentioned by early church fathers such as Augustine of, of Hippo, but let's just start with this idea of common grace. Look back to John. He says that Jesus, we see the glory of God and that Jesus came full of grace and giving grace upon grace. But common grace is, is simply God's like extension of love to all people through providential care. Regardless, all right, I want you to hear this, regardless of whether or not they believe, love, or follow God. 
And so common grace just goes out to all the people of the world. This is the love of God in action for every single one of us. That God loves everyone. He loves you. All right, he loves you. And again, some of you, you, you might hear me say this and be like, okay, the Sunday school thing. But guys, maybe there's someone in here that just needs to hear that. Maybe there's some of you that are Christians like me that you struggle to like believe that God loves you at times. You know, because of the way that I grew up and my background and my life experiences, sometimes I struggle with this idea of like, does God actually love me? But his grace is a reminder of his love for every single one of us. And common grace is just God's kindness to all people, regardless of faith, beliefs, religions, actions, anything like that. And I want to just give you a couple examples from the Bible of God's common grace. They're going to come up here on the screen, so you can write down the verse if you want to talk about it at a connection group. But I want you just to see, I want you to behold how good God is. Just behold him. Psalm 104.14 says this, you, speaking of God, cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for a man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. Food, doxa is part of God's amazing common grace across all the earth. Like we might not think about it like that, but the fact that we get to eat, it's just God's common grace to us. This is why many Christians, maybe you're not a Christian, you run to why people pray for before meals. It's not just like a tradition. This is a, a way that we kind of put ourselves in a place to remind ourselves that God is a good gift giver and he's given us this food. And we pray to just remind ourselves of how good God actually is. He's a good gift giver. Psalm 145.9 says it like this. The Lord is good to all. And this is true. God is good to every single person. He, is good, he has good news for everyone, even his enemies, people who hate him or refuse him or don't believe in him. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Guys, God loves those who don't love him because he's created them. I mean, Jesus came to die. And so maybe you're in this place of like, I don't know if I actually love God. I want you to know that God loves you. Matthew 5.45 says this, for he, God, makes this, his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So something as simple and everyday and common as sun and rain is God's common grace to us. Because without that gift, we die. Like things we don't even think about, but just assume and consume and enjoy, this is all the grace of God. Are you starting to see how good God is? He gives us all of these things that we just say, yeah, well, of course that is there because that's just how it, this is a gift from God. Luke 6.35, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That God isn't just kind to the people, the Christians who, who love him, but to undeserving and ill-deserving people. And I want to bring some clarity on this, okay? Undeserving kindness is, is something good that you do for strangers. And so you don't know the person behind you, so you hold the door open for them. That's undeserving kindness. Ill-deserving kindness is, is a little bit different. So kind of a radical image of this, somebody like burns down your house, kills your whole family, you go to the prison, and you bail them out. This is ill-deserved kindness. This is what God does. He's kind to all. Like we are all in this place because of sin in our life that we are ill-deserving. Like we have rebelled against God, but he's so good and kind that Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Acts 14, 17. 
He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Every time you eat, you experience the common grace of God. Every time you laugh and giggle and feel the way that you do, when that happens, you experience the common grace of God. This is one of the reasons I love being married to my wife, right? She, she thinks she's hilarious, right? And so our house is filled with laughter all the time. 70% of the time, it's me laughing at her. The other time, it's me laughing with her, right? But you know that feeling when you get when you're laughing, we like that. That is the common grace of God. He gives us any measure of joy. And then finally, Acts 17, 25. He gives, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So Doxa, the fact that we live is the grace of God. The fact that we breathe is the grace of God. The fact that we have any measure of love and joy in our world is purely the common grace of God. God's common grace, his grace, gives us a better quality of life. And through God's common grace, we have intelligence, we have abilities, we have understanding, we have the arts, we have technological advancements, we have advancements in science. I mean, very practically, you're sitting in this place where a vaccine is being trans or pushed out to the public, right? And regardless of how you feel about that, you need to know that God gave somebody the ability to have the mind and the intellect to develop that. And so it's not just looking at people and being like, wow, they're so smart, they, they're, they're great, we should give them a prize. It's about looking up to God and saying, wow, you're that good. You're that good that you provide. It's all grace. And when we begin to see life like this, that any part of our existence that is good is actually from God, this will change our minds and our hearts towards God. Because, you know, Maybe this is me, I think we all do this to a certain extent, but there's, there's times in our life where we say, well, of course that good thing happened because I worked hard enough to do it. Like I put in my time, I came up with that idea. Because if, that's just not it. The Bible tells us that every good gift is from God. It all goes back. Who gave you the ability to have breath in your life to, to do that thing? Who gave you the ability to have intellect to come up with that? Who gave you the work ethic and the, the personality? Guys, it's all God. It's God's common grace. And when we start to see the world through like this, it's, it's like Neo in the Matrix, right? Where all of a sudden he's like, it changes the way that he views everything. This is what happens when you view life like this, that it's all God's grace. It changes the way that we view everything. It makes us into thankful, like praise driven people that just behold God. We get a better understanding of what it means that God is loving and good, that even in the midst of hard times, even in the midst of maybe some of you have gotten your teeth kicked in by 2020, you can look back and there's elements of goodness no matter how dark the times are. It's God. He's that good. And this is one of the reasons we seek to be like a Bible-saturated church because this book is all about God. It's not about us, it's about God, and it shows us, and it reminds us, and it teaches us, and it helps us see how good he is. So we don't have like a culturally, culturally contrived God. We don't have like a philosophically driven God, but we have the God of the Bible who is filled with grace. Now, in addition to common grace, there's also saving grace, okay? So I've enjoyed common grace for the last 38 years of my life, and I still do, but when I became a Christian, I received saving grace, all right? And saving grace is really just God's special application of grace to a person who comes to Jesus by faith. 
to receive forgiveness and salvation from sin. And so if you look back to verse 16, here's how John puts it. From his fullness, we have all received, and I want you to underline this in your Bible, grace upon grace. Now, to understand this, this is grace upon grace. So this is like common grace, which is layered by saving grace. Grace upon grace. All right, so if you guys, have anybody painted things here? You've painted like a wall, anybody? Okay, so you think about like when you paint this. Some of you were painting this in this, this room, and this whole building had a bunch of weird things, like a hand that was bloody with a puppet thing, and we painted over it, right? We put primer paint. That's the first thing you do when you paint a wall. You put on the primer, and as you do that, it gradually looks better, right? And you're like, wow, that looks better. It's not, it's not great, but it looks better. Guys, that primer coat, that first coat is like common grace. It makes everything look a little bit better. But then you put on that second coat, that final coat, and it's beautiful. Guys, this is saving grace. Grace upon grace. And this is so significant because this is the entire point of the Bible. I mean, if you look at the the storyline of the Bible, we see that it starts and finishes with grace. That grace is really just the bookends of the Bible. Remember back to Genesis when we studied that. Chapter 1 starts off in verse 1 saying, in the beginning, God. The Bible starts off by introducing us to the ultimate source of life and grace. And if you fast forward to the very last verse of the Bible, Revelation 22, 21, it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And so in the beginning, God, and we ask questions, who is that God? Well, his name is Jesus, and he's revealed himself in grace. And if you fast forward to the very end of the Bible, we see that God is a God of grace and that grace comes through Jesus. And we just need to know this. This is the important thing, like the bedrock of everything, that saving grace only comes through Jesus. There's no saving grace. There's no forgiveness of sin. There's no salvation apart from Jesus. And the reason that this is so important is because so many people will mistake the common grace of God with the saving grace of God. That many people will will live their life in this world and experience goodness, God's goodness. They'll see his love and they'll be seeing this and they say, okay, I I see the common grace, the, the good stuff in my life and in this world. And they think that by adding church on top of that, that they're good. But what we see in the Bible is, yes, that's, that's common grace, but the only way to get saving grace, the only way to come to God, the only way for a secure future, the only way to escape sin, death, and hell is through faith in Jesus. This is why the Apostle Paul says it. Look, look at, it's going to come up here on the screen, Ephesians chapter 2. This is how he puts it. God saved you by his grace when you believed. His saving grace. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. It's only Jesus. Jesus is where we find saving grace, and we need to make sure that we're clear on this, as this is the whole point of the Bible. And as we walk forward as Doxa Church, guys, this is what it's all about. It's always about Jesus. This is the whole reason our church exists. And and I'll say this, like some of you, like I love every single one of you that comes here, right? I love it. One of my fears is, is that you would come to a place like this and you would examine the grace of Jesus and not experience it. See, our goal is to not create an environment where you appreciate the grace of Jesus. We want you to live it. We want you to experience it. You know, if someone who doesn't love God and 
atheists can come in here and they could examine the grace of Jesus without fully experiencing it, but it's only through faith that you can get it. And so maybe you've been examining and appreciating for some time here at Doxa. I want you to keep coming here and keep doing that, but the ultimate goal is that you would move from examining to experiencing. This is what God wants from you, for you. This is why he keeps bringing you back. And so we've seen common grace, we've seen saving grace, and I wanna finish with looking at one specific aspect of God's saving grace, and that is that God empowers us, all right? That the grace of God is, is, is not just common and saving, but it's also empowering, all right? And this is super helpful to understand because some of us might be tempted to view God something like this, that, that God is like just very far away from you, and we just have to really try very, very hard. And when we fail, God is disappointed with you and he's gonna judge you, but Jesus loves you and he's gonna forgive you through saving grace because he knows how pathetic you are. Some of us view God like this. It's not motivating, right? I mean, why, why would anybody, no, it's no reason or no wonder why people have such a problem with church and God, but it's not like that. Because the truth is, is that God's grace does forgive you when you fail. God's grace does save you when you repent and put your faith in Jesus, but I want you to hear this. God's grace also empowers you to be who you cannot be, to do what you cannot do by a power that you do not possess. All right, he doesn't just pick you up when you fail, but he empowers you and keeps you strong so you don't have to. This is what the Apostle Paul talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 2, right? He's talking to a young guy, and he reminds him in verse 1, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the empowering grace of God. He gives us the ability to live transformed lives. He strengthens us to be a new person. And so the grace of God is there for us when we fail, but he's also there for us before we fail, to change our mind, to change our outlook on life, to change our desires, so that we don't have to say yes to sin, but we can say yes to Jesus. Amen? This is what he does. The Holy Spirit empowers us by his grace to live as Jesus. And so when we understand this, we, we can understand that, guys, the Christian life is, is not so much a life that we live for God, but it's a life that God lives for and through us by his empowering grace. And we've all seen this play out on the stage of life. Like sometimes you, you see people like this, right? And you ask, like, how do they live like that? Have you guys wondered that? Like, how do you, how does that guy, like, stay faithful to his wife? Like, how do they have that level of joy? How do they have that type of integrity? Like, how do they keep themselves from sin? Why are they so loving? And it'd be tempting to just be like, wow, they're really great people. Because we know that there are no great people. There's broken people. There's one great one, and his name is Jesus, and he empowers us by his grace. When you see those types of people, it's the empowering grace of God. He helps us. God is a giver. He's given us everything. Do you see how good he is? Doc said, does this help you like behold him? This is grace. He's given us so much in life to add goodness, to add value, to add comfort, to add joy. And he gives us himself to save us from our sin so that we can enjoy eternity with him where there will be no sin anymore, where he will come and wipe away every tear from our eye, 
And then he empowers us as we live life today, waiting for that day to come where Jesus will come back and eradicate sin and death forever. And he empowers us to live for, like, and with him. This is the grace of God. Behold that. And as we move into another year together, we do so by remembering this God, who he is, what he's done, and why we love him so much. Like maybe you're like, why, why are you guys always so excited? Like why do you get so jacked up about this? Guys, it's just what it is. We found the one. It's Jesus. Like if this doesn't make you want to like just jump and scream and say, oh my gosh, he is good and behold him. Like I don't know what else in this world will do it because this is the greatest thing ever. The common, saving, empowering grace of God. And as we live in this grace and we experience this grace, the goal is to then take that grace and share it with everyone around us. And this is how we begin to live out the two greatest commandments that Jesus shares in places like Mark or 1230, right? He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we live in this grace, experience this grace, walk in this grace, we will begin to love God and love people. And this is what it's all about. And this is ultimately what we're pursuing as a church every single day as we march forward. This is Vision Sunday. That as you go out from here into 2021, you would go by the grace of God, with the grace of God, for the grace of God. Let me pray. God, we, we thank you for your grace. God, even I think of the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. That while I was running away from you, you ran to me to chase me down by your grace to save me from my sin. And God, I, I confess that like, I don't oftentimes view my life as everything is a gift. But I, I hear James chapter 1, that every good thing in this world is a gift from above. And I hear James 4, 6 saying that you give more grace and so, God, I, I pray that as we walk into a new year, God, would you help us to understand life like this? Would you open up our eyes to see how good you are, how much you've given us, and help us to be people, not only to just, like, experience your grace and receive it, but then go and give it. God, we don't want to just be like a, a holy kind of cesspool here in Madison. We want to exist for your glory and the good of the city and the people that you love. And so help us, empower us by your grace to live like Jesus for the sake of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name.